Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome to Friday in Options Action. Here's what's coming up. I'm sorry, how much? Carter Worth explains why paper towels and other consumer staples are the best way to clean up after any inflation-related mess. Then, strike up the band. Professor Coe is parading right into Macy's. He'll explain why. And, know when to fold them. Tony Zhang is a cautionary travel play that's getting a little too rich for his blood right now. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Inflation, it is here, and you probably first notice it in the products you buy every day. Carter Worth thinks that's also the exact group to look at if you want to slowly and steadily ride price increases higher. Carter, what are you looking at? Sure. So in the context of inflation, we, of course, we've covered yields on the program many times together. We've looked at gold. We've looked at oil. But of the GIC sectors, as determined by Standard & Poor's, uh, one area to consider, of course, is consumer staples. We know that they have the ability to pass on price increases to the consumer. They shrink the box and give you the same amount. Uh, they have a lot of tricks, so to speak. Uh, they never lower the prices. In any event, let's look at some charts and figure it out together five in total. The first is the ETF you can use to trade the S&P 500 consumer staple sector, the XLP. No judgments or annotations by me. Next chart. Now this is what my eye sees, the lines we've broken out of, if you will, ever so slightly, of this ascending a wedge of sorts. Third chart, and this is where it gets interesting. This is a two panel. The top is the exact same one-year chart of the XLP that we just looked at twice, but the bottom panel is relative performance to the SPY. So yes, we know staples are going up, and they've been a very bad performer relative to the market, but they're starting to base and actually outperform the S&P, and you can see that double bottom that I've annotated there. Now take this same chart, fourth chart, back a little further. This is now over the past two years. And what you see, of course, during the pandemic plunge, of course, staples sell off, but look at the bottom panel. Their relative performance is straight up, of course, because they are defensive. But if you do the trend line on the bottom panel, we have now broken above that downtrend line, in effect, since the pandemic peak in relative performance. Final chart. Same two panel again, and this is a five-year chart of consumer staples on top, the sector, and relative performance to the SPY on the bottom. And you can see the severe underperformance in 2016 to 2018, and then when breaking above the downtrend, staples started to outperform the S&P. We have the exact same setup here, and I think this is a time to embrace this area of the market. XLP, close around 71, I think you can get 73, 74 out of it. All right, thanks for the, uh, the charts, Carter. Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so I think the trade we want to take advantage of here is one that also takes advantage of something in the options pricing that we're seeing right now. Right now, if we take a look at three-month options or so, the implied volatility, that is the price of options, is in about the 27th percentile if we're looking back over the past two years. So they're relatively cheap in the 13 14% implied volatility range. Now, in fairness, of course, last year was a highly volatile year. So if we take a look at an earlier 
period than that. The two years ended February 19th of 2020. That was the pre-pandemic market high. What we'll see is that the average implied volatility over that two-year span was about 13.3%. Again, that's priced approximately where it is right now. So the price of options is relatively cheap. And this is basically a relatively low volatility uh, index that we're looking at here. So I'm looking out to September, giving myself a lot of time to expiration. I was looking at that 71 strike call. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could buy that for about $2.15. That's approximately 3% of the XLP price at this point. And the nice thing about this, of course, is that because it's a low implied volatility and because we're not expecting implied volatility to come in very much, the decay on those options is going to be very, very low. And of course, you know, if we are concerned about what the market might do, I think this week has given us some evidence that we might want to be a little bit concerned. Number one, Staples is probably a safer place to be. We're not going to see the same kinds of drawdowns. And two, options are probably a better way to make your bullish bets if you're concerned that you might start to see some kind of an equity market pullback. Tony, do you like this trade? Do you like the XLP? I do like XLP quite a bit. <clears throat> and I think the important chart here is the five-year chart that Carter was showing you because XLP has underperformed the S&P 500 largely for the past five years. But as the market peaked back here in February, that's when XLP started to outperform here. And we've seen that outperformance since. So I do think that this is potentially a time for XLP to start to shine. And you have to consider the fact that Staples, generally speaking, does well in the early stages of a higher of a rising interest rate environment, which is where we are. So for those reasons, I like being more defensive here using the Staples sector. And if you look at Mike's trade here, it's a really great trade to use when a stock or ETF is trading near its all time highs where you still want to take upside exposure, in this particular case, unlimited upside exposure with an, with an outright call option. But with the uh, relatively muted implied volatility, you're risking only 3% of the ETS value to take this bullish bet. And I think this is a really smart way to play for further upside. Carter, historically, how well have staples held up in times of market tumult? Well, remember, this is the ultimate uh, safety trade. For mm -hmm. starters, of course, its yield is almost twice the S&P. But there was a, a phrase when I was coming into this called soap and cereal. They, there, there were no sort of uh, healthcare stocks going back 150 years. They didn't exist. You bit on the bullet and uh, they cut your leg off, right? So that the old, we have biscuit companies and soap companies they are almost 200 years old. This is the ultimate defense. And in a rising rate environment, which you've just heard from Tony, but also in an environment where input costs are going up, you think they would get hurt, but they pass those on to the consumer. I think it's a great area to be in. Yeah, uh, Mike, obviously Staples encompasses a lot of components, and I'm wondering if you, if you had your druthers and dug in, which ones do you like best? Because obviously some companies can in fact pass on higher prices, and some companies cannot, they just eat the costs. Yeah, you're bringing up a great point, actually, because XLP incorporates a lot of stocks that do a lot of different things. You've got Procter & Gamble in there. You've got Kimberly Clark in there. And, of course, you have retailers like Costco and Walmart are in there as well. And what's also interesting to me is that in addition to getting exposure to some things like that, this is sort of a grab bag in terms of the analyst view of all of the constituent stocks of this. You know, sometimes it's not such a great idea to go out and chase the stocks that everybody on Wall Street loves. But there's a lot of names in here that the street doesn't love so much. J.M. Smuckers comes to mind. There's some things like that. Clorox is another. So I think this is an interesting way to play that whole sector and basically to mute the risk that you might 
have if you chose any one of those stocks. Obviously, I really do like Costco. I really do like Walmart. But those are also very well-loved stocks. And, of course, that presents a risk if you're chasing the things that everybody likes so much already. That's a very good point there. Meantime, will higher inflation cause the great travel rebound to come up snake eyes? Tony Zhang, for one, is taking his chips off the table, so to speak. Tony, what are you looking at? Yeah, I'm looking at MGM. There's been a lot of optimism and strength around casinos and uh, sports betting companies, but I think that this is time to start fading some of that strength. If we first take a look at a longer-term chart, here's a six-month chart, and we have this rising trend line that MGM has been on for six months. We recently broke below that trend line. We've come to retest that level as resistance just today, so I think the risk-to-reward ratio favors a potential short entry at these levels. And if we zoom into the chart itself, recently MGM broke out above a $32 resistance level. Um, but as the market was peaking, MGM continued to actually outperform the broader markets on this reopening optimism. But that has pushed valuations to fairly extreme levels. And it made sense when Q4 revenues were, jet, were growing 31, 34%. Um, but as Q1 revenues came in and they decelerated down to 11%, and we're starting to see these online gambling stocks uh, have see a fair amount of multiple contraction. I think that you are potentially at um, uh, due for a correction here some on stocks like MGM. So the trade structure I'm looking to use here is by going out to July. I'm buying an out-of-the-money debit spread. Now, the stock has rallied quite a bit here today. I was looking at the 38 33 put spread here. Uh, for investors that are trading this on Monday, perhaps you might want to move that strike up $1. Uh, but earlier today, I can buy this put spread for about $1.50, which is risking less than 4% of the stock's value. And I'm, sh and I'm targeting about a $33, $32 target here to the downside, uh, which is the prior support here on MGN. Carter, Tony had a chart with a lot of lines on it, and I was wondering what your take was on that. Yeah, excellent lines. I mean, the lines <laughs> are the lines, and when you start to break them, uh, it has to be respected. I think a couple things about MGM. We know it's been such an outperformer over the past 12 months. That's part of the issue, right? Up almost 200%, where things like LVS are up 25, winds up 60. And, and then there's this. This just in, in its totality is literally a gambling stock. I mean, the stock itself. It was 100 back when the market itself peaked. In 2007, before the financial crisis, it hit a low of five after the pandemic. I mean, this has never even come close to recovering its losses associated with the financial crisis. Um, yes, let's sell it. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's going on here also is that because the stock has had such a pronounced move, because it's in a very volatile space, the options premiums are elevated. I definitely like the idea of using a debit put spread to make a bearish bet here. I mean, for one thing, I don't really like selling a whole lot of upside and things that have really been on a tear too much because obviously we've seen how that can turn out. This is a situation where you can make more than you could potentially lose. And that's obviously one of the things you want to have if you're going to make a directional bet like this. If all you did was simply buy that at the money put, you're laying out quite a lot of premium. And of course, you're also lowering the break even price of your options trade. So this basically mitigates that decay and it raises the break even so the stock doesn't need to fall as far before you start to see profits. All right, let's take a quick break. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com and sign up for our newsletter. Meantime, here's what's coming up next. Coming up, Professor Ko explains why Macy's is still more than just oversized helium balloons. 
Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. The mall is dead. The giant helium balloons are popped, but could there be a real miracle on 34th Street coming? Professor Claus, I mean, Co. has your call to action. Mike. Yeah, so I'm taking a look at Macy's, and one of the reasons I'm taking a look at it is they happen to be reporting earnings next week. There's a couple other things that I think are interesting here. So right now the options market's implying that this is a name that could move more than 10% just next week after they report earnings. And, you know, there's a real sort of bifurcation in the market right now about the view on this stock because, of course, they do have some credit concerns, has a tremendous amount of debt, yet the stock has held up pretty well. So the street pretty much doesn't like it, and yet the price has held up. And that indicates, in conjunction with a relatively high short interest, that basically this whole situation of high debt, high leverage, Uh, is maybe something to be taken advantage of if you think that you get an upside surprise coming out of earnings. So I was taking a look at this. One important point, when you have companies like this where the equity is relatively volatile, where there is a lot of debt on the balance sheet, you're going to find that options premiums are quite expensive. And that is definitely the case here. Buying an at-the-money call to make a bullish bet is going to cost you quite a lot of money. And actually buying that at-the-money call and then selling an out-of-the-money call to help mitigate the cost doesn't do quite enough. So actually, to try to offset some of that premium, what I was looking to do was buy an in-the-money call. I was looking at the July 16-22 call spread today. Now, the stock was trading around $18, and by buying that in-the-money call for about $16 and then selling that 22-strike call, I was going to spend just under $2.10 to put that trade on. And you'll notice that essentially what's going on here is that the intrinsic premium that you have is approximately equivalent to the amount that you're spending for the spread. So the standstill rate of decay is going to be relatively low. And the reason for that is in part because, of course, you have this high short interest and you have this upcoming catalyst. But this is a situation where I think you can set yourself up where you have an asymmetric payoff if you happen to get it right. Street doesn't seem to like this name very much, and yet the stock is held up. I'd be interested to see what Carter's point of view is from a technical standpoint, because I think that creates an interesting dynamic here. Held up. I mean, that's putting it mildly. It's up 60 percent just this year. Uh, Carter, what are the charts telling you about this one? Sure. Uh, You know, and you heard about the debt and the leverage. Uh, Before we look at the charts, you know, uh, Buffett in his 1979 annual report wrote, turnarounds seldom turn. We know what happened to Sears or Woolworths or uh, Kmart. But this one is turning, uh, technically, and I think we can get a trade out of it. Let's look at the charts. First one is a one-year chart. No judgments or annotations by me. Second chart. This is what my eye sees. A well-defined wedge forming tension. And the implied move is going to be big. It is uh, earnings related. Now look at the next chart. This is a two-year chart. Same annotation, same drawing, same tension. Uh, The pennant, the wedge, whatever you want to call it. I've drawn the arrow. That's what we're thinking. Two more charts. Now, here's the five-year chart. It's the same setup, same wedge. Next chart, another way to draw the lines. That's a head and shoulders bottom. Final chart, bonus chart, sixth chart. It all together, we've broken above the downtrend line. We have the head and shoulders. We've got the wedge. Yeah, and you could say, yeah, it's going to go down instead of up. Well, uh, that's, that's the bet. We're betting up.
bedding up and you layer in the short interest on this one, Tony, 14% short according to FactSet. So um, what, how do you like this trade? So this is a really tough one because I don't love the fundamentals on this particular stock, but when you look at the chart as Carter showed you, there is quite a bit of potential. Uh, I really think that this stock needs to get above that $18 to $20 resistance level, which even on today's big move of 14%, it couldn't get back above that. You know, that's challenging for me, but if you do see a breakout above that $20 level and perhaps earnings next week is the catalyst that drives that, I think you have an upside target up to $26, $27. So the upside, I think, is there. I just think the probability on that is relatively low looking at the fundamentals. Um, they do have about 40% of their sales now as digital, which certainly is a shift in the right direction, but I do feel it's perhaps a little too far, a little too little too late here. So for those reasons, because I'm assigning a relatively low probability of a breakout, but if it does happen, I think it's going to break fairly significantly. I actually think that this is where I would actually use an out-of-the-money call spread. Uh, Mike is using an in-the-money call spread, and I understand why he's doing that to reduce the amount of uh, the break-even price so that it's relatively close to the current price. But I would actually prefer to risk less in this particular case because the in-the-money debit spread is risking almost 11% of the stock's price. By buying an out-of-the-money debit spread, you could risk probably 5 to 6% and perhaps even get a better risk-to-reward ratio on what I perceive as a fairly low probability. All right, we do want to get to a news alert right now, and it has to do with retail. Let's get to Leslie Picker for that. Les. Hey, Melissa, that's right. This comes from the 13F from Co2, Philippe LaFont's uh, hedge fund. They're known for investing in tech, but had had positions in some significant mall stocks, retail names. Uh, and interestingly, during the first quarter, despite the economy largely reopening, they dissolved stakes in some of those retail names. Gap, uh, TJX, Under Armour, Urban Outfitters, Deckers, uh, paired back stakes and others. And so it's kind of this opposite of the reopening trade that we've been seeing. Thought it was noteworthy, wanted to bring that to you. Uh, within the tech world, they increased their stake in Amazon, but reduced their stake in Facebook, reduced their position in CrowdStrike and Datadog, as well as Disney. Now, it's worth noting that these positions, of course, are as of March 31st and may have changed in the six weeks since. Melissa. Yep. Good point there. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. All this could be completely moot. We don't know. But let's trade it as if it's still current. Uh, Micah, what do you think of these moves? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a lot that's been going on since March 31st. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it doesn't really surprise me all that much. I mean, the one thing I would point out, and this is just sort of a general observation, and that is just as we take a look at the week that just passed, some of the things that always make me uncomfortable in the marketplace is when we hit an all-time high and then we start to see volatility increase, because that is typically something that could be a signal that you're going to have some kind of a market downdraft. I'm not saying sell in May and go away necessarily, but it is some cracks that I think we need to keep an eye on. All right. Up next, who would have guessed right after we put in an oil trade, a major pipeline would get hacked? The timing of it. It's a sure bet there's a lesson to be learned from that experience we are back into. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at one of our open trades. Last week, we laid out a way to strike big gains in the oil trade. When we see backwardation in the curve, that's usually bullish. And we even had Goldman Sachs coming out with an $80 price target on oil. And all of these things, even 100 strike call options trading, 
might indicate that uh, the upside is where it's at. But of course, when everybody's looking up, sometimes you might want to take a pause and wonder whether it's a little bit over exuberant. So I was looking at USO. If you have an equity trading account, that's the way you can get your exposure to oil and selling an upside call spread. Specifically, I was looking at the June 45 48 call spread, a $3 wide call spread that expires in June and collecting about $1.05 for that. Well, right after that, there was a major pipeline hack, but oil prices are right where Mike left them. So, Mike, what are you doing now? Absolutely nothing. That's what you want to do when you have a situation like this. My thesis hasn't changed. When you're short a credit spread like we are here, time is on your side and we can sit and wait. The only time we would look to change this is if we already have a lot of profits to reap or if our thesis changed dramatically. All right, up next, final call. Welcome back. We have a tweet. Are we bullish on the GLD gold ETF after it's broken through some support along with inflation fears and with crypto taking a breather? Tony, what do you say? I think GLD breaking up, breaking out above that 166 resistance level is bullish. I think you have upside targets of 182, 183. All right, time for the final call. Carter Braxtonworth. You're feeling bold. Macy's less bold. Play the staples, XLP. <laughs> Tony. Put verticals on MGM. Mike. XLP calls and call spreads in Macy's. Bad Money is up next. 